It's a little after one o'clock. This is the lowdown, driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name, same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Wolf GMC Buick.com. Say hi to Doug. Say hi to Mary. Enjoy yourself. It's a great place. Our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal has been dropping by the lowdown for a long time and always brings great insight. And I always wish one thing for him, and that is the night before he makes an appearance that the Edmonton Oilers do good things. And last night that happened. So this is, I don't know what the record is, McCurdy, but I know that it's its not like stellar over the years. It's nice to talk to you after a, a pretty impressive win by the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, well, we're 1-0-0 this year, Alan, after a Tuesday uh, game. So that's a pretty good way to start. And a, a 6-1-something in uh, Leon's old stomping grounds of Bridgestone Arena is always a fun thing to talk about as well. So I'm imagining that they're preparing a $25 million AAV if Leon ever hits uh, free agency in Nashville because, I mean, his goal scoring will go from 50 to 40, but (laughs) my goodness, he does have their number. Well, yeah, 22 goals in 12 games, and he... he had, he reached 20 goals in 10 games last year, and he was the first guy to do that against a single opponent since, wasn't somebody like Joe Malone, maybe? I mean, it was just ridiculous. Way, way back in the in the sands of time when the goalies got a penalty for leaving their feet, you know? I mean, it, it's it's just amazing. And it's, it's a Nashville Predators team that has a long tradition of strong defense and outstanding netminding be at UC Saros now or of course Pecorine for uh, uh, for years before that and uh, uh, Leon has beaten both of those guys for fun not just Leon of course the whole team but he's really been a driver a lot of fans are they get upset when when any coach and everyone has every coach who's, who's had Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid puts them together at least for a time uh, eventually uh, there's a criticism of that I did the numbers over the last two years and the the goal share with McDavid is about the same with or without Leon but the goals per 60 at five on five jump up by about 0.7 per game uh, right. in, in small samples do you think it's wise or unwise to um, have those two together at times well i think it's wise to have them together at times and i think it's wise to have them separate at times and the trick is uh is figuring out what the recipe is for the wins to do it but i mean one of the advantages of having uh these two superstars is the ability to deploy them i call it horizontally or vertically meaning horizontally on the same line vertically on separate lines where uh, one is listed below the other. And, of course, Leon's ability to play center or uh, at the drop of a hat switch to either wing is uh, is a big part of that. Like, he's a very versatile and uh, flexible player in that respect. And it just gives the other guys all kinds of matchup problems. And there are games like last night's game where before the game I'm thinking, well, uh, Jay Woodcroft is just thinking my two guys are good enough that they're going to put up enough goals that we're going to beat the Predators. The rest of the team just kind of has to do their job and largely they did and it actually wasn't even the Connor-Leon combination that was a real pleasant surprise last night was that it was the uh, the new second line which is sometimes a weakness of the, of the stacked line arrangement but the, the uh, second line last night of uh, Nugent Hopkins between Hyman and Fogel were just outstanding 
and they they really brought it. And uh, Jack Campbell was also outstanding in net. This was no six to one game by any sort of normal measure. I mean, expected goals I think was three to three. And uh, we our our stats with Dakota Hockey on uh, Grade A scoring chances was sixteen to sixteen. So you know it was a tight game, but the Oilers made their shots and they made their saves, and that's what made it appear like a blowout. Bruce McCurdy, our guest from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. And I ask you this question, Bruce, and I, I know you'll give a thoughtful answer, and I'm just formulating the idea in my brain, but I was thinking about it after a comment on my blog this morning about my, my the game summary that I did. And, and sometimes it does happen, and I'll mention Timu Solani as one, but there are others, where a player in mid-career and it's an outlier, uh, say after 30, spikes and and becomes something more dominant. And I'm not suggesting Ryan Nugent Hopkins is doing that, but he had 100 points last year, and I thought and predicted that he'd have a significant fall off. Well, he's averaging two points per game. His five-on-five goal share is four to one, which is plus three. And, you know, he just looks... Um, he's always been a smart player, but he looks more capable and things are happening around him that are more positive. Is this, I mean, uh, can you go a year plus and, oh, oh, just adding luck to your game? Maybe. But do you see this player as being more substantial than he was, say, two years ago? Uh, I do. I do. And I, I don't see it as luck. Uh, I'm still comparing him. You know, my, my go-to comparison for the Nuge is Patrick Marlowe that uh, it was a very high second overall draft pick uh, in San Jose that wasn't, you know, a bus driver all on his own. Uh, but he got better and better as they added core players, you know, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture. They could all play center. And uh, uh, Marlowe went from being a center to a left winger to who could play center. And his points total just kept spiking as he got into his late 20s and into his 30s that he had his, his uh, best seasons. And that seems to be where uh, uh, the sweet spot that Nugent Hopkins has found himself. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's still the power play, which that he was defined as when he was 18 years old, except for, guess what, he's playing on a line with two other power play witches, and they are just crushing it in that element of the game. It's fantastic to watch. So next up, let's talk about the defense. I, I feel like uh, um, I don't like to criticize players because of of limitations that they have, whether it be physical or injuries or whatever. But I do th- see Cody Cece a little slow uh, again this year. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, that um, him playing with Darnell Nurse uh, may, may be short-term as opposed to long-term. I suspect they want Broberg to play with Ekholm and maybe Bouchard move up. Are you seeing the same things from Cece? Uh, I am. Uh, you know, he's a gamer, and boy, he gives what, he, what he's got. But there are times that it seems like he's overmatched by speed. And uh, um, there was, I mean, last night there was a play where ultimately Jack Campbell saved everyone's bacon with a spectacular um, Scorpion save where Nurse made it bad. This was right after Nashville score, too, so poor timing. But Nurse got caught up in the neutral zone, and CeCe was kind of overwhelmed. He did his best just to hook the guy down and slow him up, uh, I guess just enough that uh, Campbell was able to clean it up. But it was a play where it was just a jailbreak. You know, how, do, how do you contain this? And, I, you know, the idea of CeCe and Kulak on a you know $6 million third pairing, 
I mean, it's expensive, but boy, would that be a heck of a third pairing. And the, and the question is, who can step up? Is it Philip Broberg? He shows, like last night, there are times, very promising signs, and then there are other times you sort of go, well, what's he doing out there exactly? And as many young players, you know, it, it comes and goes a little bit. So I see very positive signs from him. And being too slow is not an issue with Philip Broberg. My next question for you is with regard to Jack Campbell, because I like honestly, I I do wonder um, they need him to be that guy that he was last night, because I think that he did save them early and it could have gone a different way. And I know that the margins are very small, uh, but confidence for some reason means a lot in in our uh, in in sports and and goaltending specifically. Um, So I wonder if if Jack Campbell can do that 30 times a year, um, what kind of a difference would that make to this team, and how would it frame the trade deadline? Well, if he played 30 games like he did last night, he'd be in the conversation for the Vezina Trophy. I mean, that was a wonderful performance. 40, 42 saves and several of the 10 bell type. I described the Scorpion save. There was another one on a rebound off the end boards. They just didn't give up on the guy. Shoveled it under him, but he got his arm down and was able to keep that one out. There was, you know, a few just straight out goal stealers, and but beyond that, very solid work. I mean, if you have that goalie, he can play 80 games for me. You know, <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness, uh, uh, he's throughout preseason and honestly, really in the playoffs last year when he filled in, he's been uh, he's been playing okay for a while. And it's just a matter of getting that coach's trust back. And a game like last night go a long way for that. Bruce McCurdy, our guest from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal on Sports 1440. The next question I have for you, Bruce, is when I look at this team and I, I like, I think Connor Brown will be fine. He's showing yeah. uh, signs of, of uh, making a difference and being a difference maker. I, I One concern I've always had about Dylan Holloway is I, I know he can skate. I know he's going to be a good two-way forward uh, once he gets the lay of the land. I, I just wonder about offense. And so my question to you is this. Of the young players, either in the AHL or her here in the NHL now, and you can include Fogel if you want because he's a he's not a young player, but he's youngish. Are there enough offensive uh, contributors, in your opinion, to be complementary players to surround with the big guns? I would say yes. I mean, if you look back at last year, uh, the lineup that they ran with in, in the playoffs uh, was top to bottom uh, double digit goal scorers. And if you're getting even 10 goals from uh, from a guy in your, in your bottom six like they did last year from Janmark or 13 from Ryan, uh, that, uh, if they're fulfilling other functions, penalty killing and so on, and contributing even 10 goals, I mean, the top end talent that the Oilers have is unlike any other team in the league. I mean, finishing 1-2 in, in uh, the scoring race year after year, only one team can do that, and usually none. Usually it's two different teams that have the top guys. So the high-end scoring is going to be there. You want support scoring, and the, the finally last year, after years of, of frankly, failure to develop a, 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 a a solid bottom six. Last year, they they got a bottom six that got a 55% goal share, and they were all you know pumping in the odd goal. And you got to remember, guys like this are playing 12 minutes a night, none of it on the power play, uh, most of it in you know defense first, uh, 
roles or keep the game quiet kind of roles, and every goal is a a bonus. And what you don't want is Colin Fraser in two goals and three assists kind of uh, performance. You need somebody who's going to score 20, 25, even 30 points. Uh, but if they can do that at even strength or, you know, the odd short-handed one like Yanmark, uh, for instance, uh, that's a guy that helps your team. And I've, I think their bottom six has got a fairly sufficient number of those. It always could be better. But uh, they've uh, they managed to retain from last year. And the guy you mentioned already, Dylan Holloway, who wound up not playing in the playoffs, uh, for the Oilers, but is nonetheless a returnee from last year's team. He's the one to me that has shines with upside. If he can ever figure it out around the net, look out because a lot of his hockey instincts are terrific. You know, I remember reading an article on uh, Gilles Tremblay, the the Montreal Canadiens' mm. great two way winger, and when he came to the NHL, mm. he said to Toe Blake, he said, "I can do the checking and the penalty killing. I don't know how to score enough goals to stay in the league," and. Uh, the coach, who told Blake, pretty smart guy, he said, I'll show you where to go to score the goals. And, and I mean, one assumes it was net front and wait for Beliveau to pass you the puck. But uh, um, that I think that Holloway, th- that's the next step for him, right? Maybe to, to learn from a cane or whatever, to, to because he's so fast and he can get everywhere when he needs to. And maybe he's so fast that he needs to have a little com- more calm feet in the scoring zones. Yeah, well, I'm harking back to a young Glenn Anderson breaking in with the Oilers in 1980. And he came in with, you know, the super fast feet, and uh, sometimes the hands or even the heads couldn't quite keep up, you know. And so a lot of chances would go for naught. But uh, uh, even in his in his rookie year, and certainly by his second year, he, he you could see the, the goal-scoring ability flourishing before our eyes. He was learning how to score goals, how to be patient around the net, when to hold the puck for that little extra stride and then, you know, take your time and lift it into the top of the net from the angle as opposed to just jamming it desperately into the goalie's pads because you're there and you're close and you want to, you know. And part of it is just literally calming down around the net. And I'm hopeful that that will come with Holloway. I, I do like his hockey instincts. I keep seeing, you know, his positional play is strong. He's, you know, good in puck support. Like he thinks the game, I think, pretty well. It's not just physical talent with, with um, uh, <clears throat> that needs a lot of fine tuning. I think some of that uh, fine tuning is 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 within him. Like he he just does some things naturally the right way, and hopefully. Uh, his past record says his second year in the league, he's way better than he was the first year. Well, this year is his second in the NHL. Do, is there benefit for, and I'm, we're, we're talking about Holloway, so let's use that as an example, but I'm talking about any forward because I, I, I feel, I don't know that Patrick Maroon is a genius, I'll be honest, but, but he learned early on how to play with McDavid and, and he was right. He was very good at it. And so, I, and he played a pretty simple game. Yeah, well, he came consistent and reliable in terms of what he was going to do. His teammates knew where he would go. He would head to the net front. He would stir things up and create, you know, a distraction and screen. And also he'd have a good stick on the ice to jam in the odd centering pass or rebound. And uh, that's his uh, that's his game. You know, Zach Hyman does a lot of those things, but on a higher level than, uh, than Pat Maroon did. 
in terms of, uh, uh, you know, knowing where to go and how to create chaos uh, when he gets there. And uh, so they've kind of got that guy already uh, uh, in the system. And they're paying him, of course, more than Pat Maroon ever got. But they've got... uh, uh, him certainly from the from the top six group, and then bubbling under again. Holloway's kind of the guy that uh, that maybe has the most promise of that. And I am liking Warren Fogel. Man, he played a good game last night. He's played well, I think, so far. And, and uh, to me, his game has come on big time, basically in calendar 2023. So he's a little little older, and his contract is expiring. But uh, I'm expecting uh, uh, his best year to date. I I compared him not exactly. Remember when Marty Reisner went on waivers, and then he spiked as a player. He became it was almost like the light bulb went on. And Vogel was in the trade rumors this this last like winter at the trade deadline, and and almost from like maybe a week or a week and a half or two weeks before then until now. He does seem to be a more substantial player. Fair? Yes, it is fair. I mean, for much of last year, really from training camp, where we were, many of us thinking, well, how does three go into two? We got three $3 million forwards in uh, Pooley RV, Yamamoto, and Fogel. And Fogel's the oldest one with the lowest upside, uh, lowest draft pedigree. He seemed likely to be the odd man out. And lo and behold, here he is, the survivor. And those other two guys are gone. And so, you know, it's it's always tricky to to project. But uh, uh, Fogel is a survivor. And he's, uh, of those three guys, like Yamamoto and Fuliarvi, they both took a step backwards last year. And Fogel is continuing to come on. So is it just the draft picks? Is that what you're saying, Bruce, picking on the scouts again? Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm going to pick on the management that signed all those three million dollar contracts and then had to had to sell them off. But to Ken Holland's credit, he moved all of uh, of Zach Cassian, Kyle Yamamoto, and yes, Yarby's three million dollar uh, deals uh, without retaining a penny. Yeah. Now, at least he was able to move on from them. It cost him in the one case, and and uh, uh, but. Um, at least he's shown the ability to, you know, shift in midstream. And, and much of it hurt to say goodbye to those young guys in particular. Many, many of us, I know I was, were fans of both, uh, Yessa and Kyler. But the fact is that in the cap world, if you're getting $3 million, you've got to be delivering something. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Bruce, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great week. You too, my friend. That's Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Good guy. A very a, a good fellow, along with being a very uh, astute uh, observer of the game of hockey and having a, a, a memory that, that uh, although it is painful to me personally because he brings up bad you know events in my in my sporting life all the time, um, he's, a, he's a valuable guy. I, I would like to nominate him for official historian of the Edmonton Oilers. Even if it's an unofficial honor, I believe that he should be that guy. One we we're going to take a break. On the way before 2 o'clock today, we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers with Matt Engel from Fort Worth Star. Your comments on the way. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. We're brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. 
I I really liked that song. I didn't like Shout. Do you ever have that where where a band has two really big hits and one you love and the other you don't? I do, and I can th- I actually have a really good example for you. It's not that I don't like one of the songs, right? Um, but Midnight Oil with Beds Are Burning, yes. I would say probably their biggest hits. Mm-hmm. Biggest hit, Blue Sky Mine. The other one, I'll yeah. take Blue Sky Mine every day of the week. I don't remember it at Burning. all. You know. And if we work all oh. day on the Blue Sky Mine, well, be that food. sold me. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> but I'm just saying, yeah. So I do get that. Uh, I do get that sentiment. And listen again, you're talking quick, so I have to fade it down. But I would have let that one play as long as you wanted. I I feel that way about uh, Men at Work. I I like Down Under. I don't like who can it be now. I like both those, but that's another that's another good example. I can respect and that. the the uh, that band that does the I would walk five hundred miles and I would walk five hundred more. Proclaimers, yeah, they had another hit. Yeah, they did. They, oh, wow. they did. I don't remember the name of it, but it was another hit, and uh, I just like that song. Dalanda. <laughs> yeah, that one's a classic. If you have a song and Dalanda is in it, I will like it because <laughs> I always, you know. I guess it's the way my brain works, but I always imagine a songwriter like you're there and you're, you know, you're, you've got the, you got the song, you got the melody, you got the line, you got the hook, you got the, the, you know, the bridge, you've done it all. But, and you're like, ah, damn it. I get is the only thing that works. Like it's the last, you know, I imagine you spend 60 hours trying to find something that fits in there and you're like, I had to hell with it. Dalanda is it. It's so crazy because the way you described it is probably 100% accurate. And it was the last thing they threw in there when they were <laughs> recording the track. And it is the most memorable part of the song. It is. So. That's the point is that it's, it, it, you know, the, and it's, I don't think Dalanda is a word. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's, 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 a, it's an onomatopoeia. Dandalanda. It's like mm, for power, bang, something like that. I, Same realm. I, I, I almost guarantee because musical people are musical people, they felt it needed something. Yes. And oh, I hear thunder was not good enough. I'm sure if you talk to a musician, there's a deep dive into that song about how magical and you know yeah. intricate that really is. But for us, it's just Dunder London, and we yeah. love it. Uh, and I, 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 I do pay attention when people talk about how songs are written. Uh, Paul Simon is is really good at explaining why songs come out in a certain way. Graceland and others, and I love the I love the stories behind how songs occur. Because I, you know, there's a there's a magic about it, you know. And there, there. John Lennon talked about them being out in the ether, and you just pull them down like you mm-hmm. were going to get the the blankets uh, when you have guests over, you know. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but uh, Jeff is a great guest. Love people that often say the data shows. Well, he's. The, you know, there's a thing about data. It lays there and does nothing, but it's smart people, not me, smart people lift it up and they say, aha, and then they get hired by the orders. And like my friend, uh, I can't wait for Parcati to do something brilliant. I just can't wait for it. It's probably already happened and I don't know. Woodcroft pulled an underrated move by pushing Fogel up the depth chart. He challenged him. He called him on to be a... Uh, a bit on him to the missed the shot in Vancouver. Then he pushed him up on a show me game and responded, "Tough love." Blue sky mine, great harmonica. I don't know. I uh, Je- uh, uh, Declan didn't didn't do the harmonica part, so I can't say. I would love to be able to play harmonica. I'll bring one in and give it a go. But. Respect to anyone tone deaf who sings a few bars. LOL. Oof. 
I'm it's a, hard. It's hard. I am a terrible singer. It, I'll well, always know that. You know, I, one time a, a, a lady who was a, uh, um, she was a voice trainer, like for singing. Um, I, I was at some event and she was sitting at the table. And I said, I feel badly because I, I love to sing and I know I can't. And she said, honey, you've trained your voice to talk on the radio. That's what you've done. And first of all, like she called me honey. Secondly, it made me feel better because I've given, I've sacrificed my singing voice for the art of radio. So that's what I'm going with. Any regrets? Uh, I wish I could sing. Yeah. I wish I had musical talent. You've done okay, talent. though. Uh, I, no, I wish I had musical talent. You know, I don't you wish you could play an, an instrument, like, so beautifully that people would melt? Oh, my. Listen, my dream scenario is just being able to pull up at a piano and play Piano Man flawlessly by Billy Joel and everyone being like, wow, who's that guy? You sure that isn't Bono? Because I know you know these artists so well. Uh. <laughs> But but uh, piano is a perfect example where where you know you you just you know it's it's there and say you're at a hotel and it has a piano bar in the lobby and you just go over there and play people gather around I'd love to be that guy I am <laughs> I'm not that guy more cowbell yeah stuck here in four six two zero one great story behind that song I know. That's Sour Sweet by the Guess Who, and that's from the album So Long Valentine, I believe. Don't you even try to get me on my Guess Who trivia. I know it all. I'm on my way from misery to happiness. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. What was the song they did that was in that movie that um, is with... uh... Oh, no. Stranger Than Fiction. They, there's a song by Reckless Eric that they also did. What's the name of the song in Stranger Than Fiction, which is a beautiful movie. Um, if you haven't watched it, please watch it. It's, it's actually one of my favorite movies. Um, Little Did He Know becomes like a key point in the plot, and, and for good reason. And it was by Reckless Eric? Reckless Eric did it. Uh, uh, something Whole Wide World, maybe? Is it, it was called? Whole Wide World. Okay, yeah. all right. Oh, it was Whole Wide God. World. You know, the, the the stuff that you almost have a grasp on and then finally find, there's a feeling like you've climbed Everest when you're my age. Has anyone interviewed this new analytics guy on radio yet? I have not, and I'll be honest, I have not reached out to Michael Parcati because I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to talk to him. I want the orders to love him. And, you know, I... Um, when you talk to uh, 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 an organization and you ask for a guy, chances are they're going to give you the head guy in a department. So that would be like probably Brad Holland, for instance, because he's the AGM of pro scouting. Or uh, maybe it would be the new amateur scouting director. So you don't get the guy that you want. You get the guy who is working with the guy you want. That's how it works. But even if I could get Parkati, I wouldn't do it because I don't want to ruin anything about him. I want him to be pristine. And because like he he's really smart. Like I'm not just blowing smoke here. He's really smart. If you knew his career and his resume, you'd go, "Oh my god." Like he's really smart. So I just want to let him be. I don't want to bother him at all. He's going to do great work. I know he will. And I'm just going to sit back and watch this unfold like the universe did in, told us it would happen in the Desiderata. Do you know the Desiderata? Can you recite it for us? No, 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 not today. You're a child of the universe. Not today. You may not even know that. 
Oh, I absolutely do not. Okay. Piano Man is Peter Gabriel. There we go. You know, Peter Gabriel did a song in the last few years called The Book of Love, which is a cover version. His daughter told him to record it. And, oh, my God, it, 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 I listened to it when I was in a very emotional period of my life, but it made me cry. It is so beautiful, and it's so hopeful. And for me at the time, it was really just like... It was a, just a, 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 I will always love that song and his version of that song because it came along at just a really important, important time. Clap for the low tide. <laughs> it's all according to your boogaloo situation. Don't even try me on Guess Who, man. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. I can sing when the band was sh- singing Shaken All Over and Shaken All Over. Beginning to end, or as I put it, end to beginning. There's nothing like being on stage singing and noticing the room is dead quiet. The realization that everyone is listening to every word is indeed powerful. I can only imagine. Like, I can only imagine the power of that. Um, One of my favorite videos is Tom Waits singing on David Letterman. And it's just him and a bass player. And Tom Waits is at the piano. And he's singing a song called On the Nickel. And it's a beautiful song anyway. But the version that he did that night on David Letterman, you can look it up. It, it is the way he plays the piano. He plays a, the same uh, uh, riff over and over again. And then he adds to it toward the end to build the tension of the song. And I don't what the hell I'm talking about. I just know that it happens. And it it's it just rises to something otherworldly and even though his voice is unusual and and you would say i don't know th- even his voice carries it and makes it even more tragic it's a beautiful song all right this is not hockey i want you to know um thanks lt oh i'm talking about the analytics guy chad allen and the expressions shaking all over yeah and then they had a TV show in Toronto, and they became Toronto's favorite band, except they were from Winnipeg. Funny how that works. Step off Toronto. Have you ever made a list of the the art? Did you just cough? Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm over here doing radio. No, what, no, you got I'm some kind of, you're at the bar, having a cough, maybe you're drinking a beer, having a smoke over there? No, mic was off. I covered it. Arm was up. I can't, I I can't believe you heard, heard it, it, to be honest. I, it was audible to me. Through the headphones and all. It's pretty impressive, because I know how loud those things Between are. Between the typing and your coughing and burping over there, I can't get a damn thing done. I don't burp. I don't burp at work. Well, well, I keep it professional. We've only known you for five weeks. Just tuning in, wanted to gauge the sentiment. Are we back to planning the parade after a two-game hiatus from Randy? Oh, yes, Randy. We're going right by your house. Um, we're going to stop in, and there's going to be... You know what I've decided we have to do? Because there's there's so much attention on this team. When they win, and this is... I, I love the 80s Oilers, but when they win, none of the 80s Oilers can be part of the parade. No, they can't. Because this is the new dawn, the new day. Ooh, it is. It's over. You can't let Messier or Lowe or MacT or Gretzky be in any of the floats. And I know they're not floats. I get it. You can't. Because the, the day will have dawned where the 80s Oilers are stuck in time. They've never been stuck in time. They've always been, and they'd be part of the next group. And when they win this time, then they they need to be stuck in time. 
All right. I've said my piece. I'll say no more. Matt Engel from Fort Worth Star on the way. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide, driven by Wolf GMC Buick on Sports 1440. 139. This is the Lowdown. I love that he's back voice guy. Big voice. Soon it'll be, he's going soon. But right now we've got the, he's back. And I'm quite pleased. Jason Greger on the way. Four hours of radio straight ahead. But first, we're going to be talking to Matt Engel from Fort Worth Star about the Texas Rangers. I remember when they were the Washington Senators, and this thing that's happening, I want Lenny Randall, Frank Lucchesi, uh, Whitey Herzog, all Jeff Burroughs, everybody has to know what's going on. I hope they do. That's a really impressive. You named some really obscure Rangers there. That's not easy. When you pull in Jeff Burroughs out of the bag... <laughs> You're going into the Wayback Machine for that one. That's impressive. Thank you for having me on. It's a misspent youth is what it is, sir. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, because I can relate to this. It's not a misspent youth. It's a waste of brain space. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure which one's better, but I've decided that most of my most of my uh, brain matter has been wasted not to alcohol, but rather useless sports trivia. And I'm not sure which one is the bigger waste. I, I think I probably should have... I, pr- I think I should have probably should have been drunk. I think that probably would have been a better way to use of my time. <laughs> well, just think, there are sports writers who were both, and they didn't survive as long as you. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I'm glad you, you know, that's a way to look at the glass half full. You know what I mean? Yep, that's the way to go. I, it's not, and, you know, as, as someone who's been to Edmonton a lot, I used to cover the Dallas Stars. And uh, so I would go to Sherlock's. I was a big fan of Sherlock's. And um, I actually loved it up there. So whenever somebody, the fact that you said it for you Edmontonians up there, it would be to me uh, a glass half full of kokanee or Labatt's. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, So Astros down two zip. Uh, They're a good road team, though. I just feel like it's the Rangers. It just feels like it's the Rangers year. It also feels like the Phillies year. So I suspect we'll see them in the World Series. But there's a little bit of destiny for this team. Fair? Uh, Yeah. Well, God, it's so weird to say that with a team that's been. There's six franchises that have never won a World Series, and the Rangers are one of them. Uh, They came painfully close in 2011. And for Rangers fans, that 2011 is their equivalent of uh, Bill Buckner kicking the ball in the 86 World Series for the Mets and Red Sox. Um, and it's just an excruciating game. That, that game, game six, is just excruciating for the 2011 World Series for Ranger fans. Obviously, it was more than a decade ago. So for to anybody to say, this seems like a team of destiny, this is not. This has been one of the baseball's most irrelevant franchises for decades. And so they're they're really nervous about buying in, and you know it's it's weird. I'm trying to think of the the parallel in Canada, um, and maybe with Flame fans, even though they had a, a title a long, long time ago. But you know, some fan bases can just be kind of fatalistic, and there there's this well because they just don't think they want to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the way they're playing, all of it, and specifically their defense. Their defense is so good. If you look at that, then yeah, I can see why you think they're going to beat Philly. I, you know, I don't know. You you, you said Philly's going to feel the same way because Philly got there last season and they ran into, you know, 
the Astros who were still prime Astros. These Astros don't look quite as good. They're still really good. But I, I think you're right. I think Texas is just a little bit better, and I think they're going to get them. Maybe not, maybe not sweep, but I think they're going to get them ultimately. Matt Engel, our guest from Fort Worth Star. You've mentioned Josh Jung at third base and Evan Carter in left field for the defensive work of being very strong. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we left field, we say, well, it's not an important defensive position, but it is. And and especially if you're tracking down balls and making the difference in the throwing to the right base, that part of the game, I think it'll, for a lot of teams, I'm not going to say it's lost, but I, I do believe there are teams, the Jays being an example, who maybe give up a little bit of the leather because they want more of the wood. In Texas's case, at least in those two spots as you mentioned they like the defensive work yeah and you can't really i mean you can now because analytics you can quantify everything so you can quantify it and right field is just as important as in left field depending on if the guys are right-handed batter or left-handed batter and there were plays in the first two games of this series because it's not just about catching the ball and fielding it cleanly it's about getting to balls that an otherwise a sub-average defensive player couldn't even get to. So it's not an error, but maybe it's a hit. Or maybe it's a double when it should have been a single. Or then there's the sensational plays. And and those guys are making them. Evan Carter's catch in left field in game two. Um, or maybe it was game one. I get him confused. It was, it was a great catch. And it was a hard catch. Uh, it was on the warning track. And you know, if, if it goes over his head... The series is totally different, but they made the play. Josh Young has made a lot of – he's a really, really good athlete. A lot of terrific uh, defensive plays at third base, and that saves runs. It just does. It changes innings. It changes at-bats. It changes changes everything. And that, to me, is as well as they have pitched. Well, you can do a lot for a pitcher if you can go get it in the outfield, and the Rangers are. They're really – they've got five finalists. They named it today, five finalists for the Gold Glove. I don't know if they're all going to win them, but that says a lot. you got five finalists who can go get it in the field, and your team is going to benefit, and the Rangers have. So the one question that I had, the first question that I had is – because I, I like I'm an Eagles fan, and you, when you're talking about you know giving up and don't want to be hurt again, I when they won the Super Bowl, I was I I, I was I sat in shock for an hour because they won. And I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just sat there and I wouldn't move, and I didn't. I just I contemplated what had just occurred because I never thought it would right. happen. So when I envision a Rangers fan right now, they're two wins away from setting the record for the most consecutive wins to start a postseason. But as a fan. I can also understand where they go, well, if we lose any of them, we'll just lose a bunch in a row. So how superstitious are Rangers fans about that winning streak? And and when they do lose one, is it like everybody's going to have this giant like nerve crash? I think it depends on how they lose. You know, the Royals set the record in 2014 for consecutive wins to start a postseason. And they ended up losing the World Series in seven games to Bruce Bochy, coincidentally, who's now the manager of the Rangers. So I think it depends on how they lose. You know, this team should have won 103 games. They won 90. They should have won 103 or 105 games, but their bullpen was historically bad. For a team to be as good as the Rangers are, to have a bullpen that bad, and they were historically bad, they had more blown saves than saves which never happens. And not only does it never happen, it never happens on a good team. That tells you how good they were and how specifically how good their offense was. But I think it depends on, you know, do, do they blow it in the ninth? 
do they have a, a 5-2 lead in the 7th and then they lose it in the 10th? Because that's what this fan base got conditioned to, justifiably, because it happened a lot during the regular season. And I think the other thing, too, is that there, that there's you – know, wait for the shoe to drop. This was uh, – I, I don't know if it was the streakiest team in baseball, but it was pretty close. And if you win 90 games, obviously, you're pretty damn good. But they would go through these streaks where they would win. They'd look so good. Six, seven games in a row. You're like, wow, it's amazing. And they were in first place for a long time. And then they went to these stretches like, how, how did you lose two or three to Oakland? They're high schools that could beat <laughs> Oakland in two out of three. Uh, they got swept. I mean, they, looked, I mean they, they fell out of, they had like a six game lead for a good chunk of the season. And then they blew it and they lost it on the last day of the season. They lost the division championship, whatever that means. Which these days you don't want to win the division title, and you certainly don't want to win 100 games. So at least the Rangers avoid those pitfalls. But in terms of like superstition and waiting for the shoe to drop, yeah, I think if you combine like you talk about the Eagles, if you combine just a knowledge of the history of the franchise, which they don't win World Series, you combine that with how the season has gone, then yeah, I think justifiably like oh, this is going to change. And you know they they still got to win two more against a good team, and then they got to win four more against a really good team. So I can understand if a Rangers fan is like, okay, I'm wearing the same underwear, uh, I'm not showering. I think I can totally get It's gross, but I can totally see how they're doing it. I um, one, one I, I love baseball for the math, and one thing that I'm just I'm super fascinated by is the the lefties in the bullpen and their strikeout to walk ratio and their strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, I I think strikeout to walk ratio is really important, especially for bullpens, and they're just so damn good at it. Like they're they're the 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 walks are are. Um, you know they're 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 not prevalent, and they do get a lot of K's. Um, and obviously, they've had success. How important is that bullpen, and how important is it when you need a strikeout that you've got a guy who's a lefty who can do it? Well, that, that's the weird part about it is that they went out and got Royal Chapman, who's you know he's not prime Royal Chapman. He's just not. He can still bring it, but if you look at his statistics on consecutive days, they're terrible. On the first day, on Monday, he's fine. On Tuesday, he's terrible, which is weird for a reliever, especially in a, in a, in a, in a seven-game series, because you're going to be, you're going to play at least one. You're going you're to have multiple back-to-back games, and they brought him in on Monday, or pardon me, Sunday night. He's good. Brought him in on Monday, gave up a home run to Jordan Alvarez, which I think, I think landed in Alberta. Uh, he, was, he wasn't bad. He's just, he's just older. An older guy, they can leave the ball up, they, you know, yeah. whatever. So they've had guys in those situations. That's the strangest part about it that doesn't add up. It's that they have these guys who can, and I think they have figured out roles, seven, eight, nine. Uh, Jose Leclerc blows hot and cold. Looks like he's pretty good right now. As long as you get, as long as you go to Chapman, you know, on Monday and not Tuesday, he's been good. And they've got live arms in there, but man, oh man, they've been inconsistent. But right, in, they they were they were the worst of all the good teams, worst bullpen in baseball by far, but not even close. Hell, even their bullpen was bad, even by bad standards. But once the postseason started, different team. Oh. 
They no. just did all the. I can't remember what player told me in the clubhouse after game two. He's like, you know what? All all of our flaws in the regular season seem to have gone away. And he's right because right now that bullpen looks really good. Yeah, it does. Thanks for this. Appreciate it. Enjoy the games, and uh, uh, we really appreciate you being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Stay warm. Thank you. All right, there you go. Like that a lot. Matt Angle, Fort Worth Star. We're getting some great baseball guests. You're doing great work, sir. Well, I'm doing what I can. They're tough to track down. I'll be the first to tell you, but uh, I'm glad that when we get them on, uh, they they have some insight that you appreciate. Baseball baseball writers are busy, and a lot of it has to do with when the games are played and when the deadlines are. They actually are really busy. Anybody who, like Daniel Nugent Bowman, like he covers games, and then he's got to write, and he's got to write efficiently. He's got to get it done. That's a, you know... I'm out there just hitting my typewriter whenever I want to. No big deal. You got to get going. Got to kind of giddy up. What What's happening with our poor fellow who cannot stream from his truck? He said he declined it. Um, why? What's happening there? My My guess would be, and you know, obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, presume too much here. But my guess would be that when he bought it, when he bought it from the uh, the dealership, they, it came with an option like, "Hey, do you want to us do us to install this streaming server, this streaming capability?" And he turned it down. Now, again, oh. I don't know. I'm so he not, could go uh, back to the dealership and get it done then. You know, he could. He could. It's 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 a long walk for. But you know what? It's a long walk for a long drink of water. I think it's worth it. What are you? Some kind of. You know, a prophet, poet. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Philosopher. Well, I don't want to go that far. You're too young to be a philosopher. You could be a. I a, got thoughts. A though. makeshift or a wannabe philosopher. You could do that. Listen, I read the Republic on my own volition, so I know what I'm doing. <laughs> You're a funny guy. Um, I wouldn't let Nessie or Anderson ride the float, but I think McTavish and Lowe should be allowed to ride. They still work with the team from Nils. I don't think Mac T does, and I don't think Lowe does either, do they? I'm not sure about that. You two have incredible chemistry. I know. I know. Well, with And, and while also not being attracted to each other at all. It's kind of a why, thing. Why would you even say that? <laughs> well, I went without saying it. Now it's weird. Now that you said it. Well, chemistry is a thing, right? You know, I didn't bring it up so that it would be there in the room. I promise you. All right. Just, you know what? I, I'm going to make an executive. I'm cutting off the late night phone calls <laughs> after that. No what more, about the texting? Is the no texting okay? That. It's all off the table. And what about the photos? Because I really enjoy the photos. Um, those can stay. <laughs> hey, Tide, would you go with Campbell tomorrow? Coach Mike. Um I hate to say this, but yeah, I would. I, I want Campbell to have real success, and I think he will in Philly. And that's not fair to Stuart Skinner, who saved their bacon a year ago. Piano Man is definitely not Peter Gabriel. We know, but but my friend over here, I think it was um, the Stranger album or Scenes from Italian Restaurant. I can't remember the song, the Billy Joel song that he thought was Peter Gabriel. It was Salisbury Hill, and I right. said it's Salisbury Hill by Billy Joel. Right. Then I then I went home and got paddled by my dad. Funnily enough, Fiano Man is more a harmonica tune. Love Duke of Earl for the bum 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 Duke Duke Duke. That's a good song. All those fifties doo wop thingies, so good, so good. 
tied. It's amazing how the goalie trade rumors <clears throat> were around over the weekend, and now I see articles about the second line uh, be having struck gold. The market is so reactive. Will we uh, talk about this on Game 83? This is just another small sample size from Chip. You're right, but it, <clears throat> we drive it as media. You know, uh, how many, like I will tell you, I'll say the sample size is too small, but it you. I do prep every day for this show. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I do. And you have to have an angle. You have to have something. You have to put your teeth into something, right? So we come up with an angle. That's what we do. And then we present it, and then we ride that nag till it drops. Now, Jason Greger doesn't do that, but he's on the way next. Thanks so much for tuning to The Lowdown. I had a really good day today. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Laughed so much at my friend Declan. This is what I dream of. Time now for a sports update.